Open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, please. 1 John chapter 4. In the first sermon on this series this morning, I spent some time in 1 Corinthians 13. It is the charity chapter. It's the love chapter. You Bible quizzers had God's providentially arranged opportunity to memorize much of or all of 1 John and its five chapters, 105 verses there, and quiz over them yesterday. The Bible has much to say on this subject. What I went over with you in 1 Corinthians 13 is very weighty comparison that the apostle made to show how important brotherly love is. I don't know how he could have presented it any weightier than he did for us to appreciate just how important it is compared to the greatest spiritual gifts and offices ever given to the church. Right. We're nothing, we're irritating sound, and it profits us nothing in comparison to true charity, right. which was defined there as well. For you young men that want to know the Word of God, verses 8 through 10 are why we are cessationists of 1 Corinthians 13, not 1 John 4. I'm referring back to what I covered this morning. If you want to learn the Word of God, I gave you a Baptist jewel. It's what makes Baptists different. But most Baptists today do not understand verses 8 through 10 and verses 11 and 12. They think that it's referring to the second coming. And it's not the second coming of Jesus Christ that's in there. When that which is perfect is come, that is the finished Word of God, it's complete revelation, it's complete wisdom, it's complete knowledge compared to partial, temporary knowledge, wisdom that the first gifts in the church had compared to the Bible. The Bible is our complete revelation of everything God wants us to know. And it came around 70 AD, about the same time that God ended his dealings with the nation of Israel because those gifts were often for them. The Jews require a sign. And so God sent them signs, and he took them away when there was a completed revelation. Very important. John MacArthur had, about five years ago, a strange fire conference. It was outstanding. It was to deal a huge blow against the Charismatics and Pentecostals of our nation. Its materials were all videoed, and they're on the Internet. It is good stuff. Great presentations. He had some sharp men presenting different sermons and presentations, slides, questions, questions and answers about the charismatic movement. However, he would not deal with 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10 because it is considered too controversial. Well, it's not controversial to us, and I don't want it to be to you. And if you need more on that particular matter... It is a document on our website called Tongues Have Ceased. It's got a picture of Benny Hinn when that document comes up. Or our verse-by-verse exposition of 1 Corinthians 13. In either case, we go through each phrase and understand it the way intended. There wasn't anything about the second coming in 1 Corinthians 13. It's about the fact that right now you're a childish church like every other church is. And you have imperfect and partial gifts, but something is coming that is perfect that will do away with those gifts. And those gifts went away, as Baptists believe, with the first century and the apostles. Well, that's when the Bible arrived. Anyway, you young men, 
you were taught. I, I, I want you to hold on to that. Amen. It's one of the distinguishing marks of our church that we're not ashamed nor afraid to use 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10. Amen. The fact that the rest of the New Testament agrees with it is just icing on the cake. Right. Right. But the cake is 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10. I said some things in the way of introduction to this service that I hope you'll remember as well. And how when the Lord Jesus Christ commanded that you love one another, it's a new commandment I give unto you. It's not absolutely new, but it's comparatively new. It's new emphatically. It's new by the example that Jesus gave us. That's what it means there when it says a new commandment, even though I had just read it to you from Leviticus 19 and verse 18. It was new in several measures, but not new absolutely considered. I also pointed out to you that from John 13, when we were commanded to love one another, that it says, all men shall know that ye are my disciples by the love ye have one to another, right. and it's not by the love we have to visitors or to strangers. It's too easy. The Lord's standard is outstanding. And I also pointed out to you that the closer we get to someone, the more we live with them, the less restraint we have and the less compassion we have to deal with them charitably and lovingly like we should. And so we want to, we want to start on the relationships that are closest to us at home and work outward from them in loving the way we should. That goes right along with what I'm saying from John 13, that it's the love you have one to another. It's too easy to love a stranger. It's too easy to send them a gift. It's too easy to take care of them. And I mean to do it with compassion and friendliness for a day. When you've got to live with someone for years and you know their faults and they do things that disappoint you and offend you, irritate you, that is the measure. And that's true of us as compared to visitors or strangers. Right. So let's, let's keep everything the Bible says to us in its proper place. Amen. Okay. Have we covered one of those points on that page you have? One? <laughs> love is the greatest duty. Number two, love is the greatest concept. Love is the greatest concept. I meant what I said to you earlier that if you're regenerate and you can appreciate real beauty, and you've got to be regenerated to appreciate real beauty, the sentence of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 is evidence that the Bible's a supernatural book. Right. Who else has written such a standard for love? To start with the word suffering, we know because we're regenerated, that that's what's necessary to truly love someone, yep. is to suffer long because they're going to do things that cause us disappointment, pain, whatever. And so it's a wonderful concept. Love is the greatest concept. Love is a simple word with a wide variety of meanings to different people. But only God can truly define it, and he's defined it for us. And we don't care what anyone else thinks about it, says about it, sings about it. We believe what the Bible says about it. Amen. I therefore esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, including love and charity, and I hate every false way. Right. Let's hold to that on this subject as well. The infinite and independent Jehovah God is love. Illustrated it perfectly and defined it for us. I am that I am. Did I am that I am need you? No. Did I am that I am have to love you? No. 
I am that I am, the independent, infinite, eternal God, chose to love. Amazing love. How can it be that God, my Savior, should die for me? And so forth, as that song goes on to say. Our Father in heaven made each man's unique soul, ordained life's relationship, relationships, and prescribes the perfect rule to govern them. And it's love. It is the greatest concept. You have a unique individual spirit inside you created by God. And he gave you relationships, relationships of marriage, family, business, church, government, citizenship, neighbors, and so forth. And then he gives us the rule to govern all those relationships, and it's perfect. If it were practiced, it would bring perfect peace, pleasure, and profit, period. But it's not always practiced, and that's why we're going through these messages right now. Elton John and Whitney Houston sang, in the case of one, and sing, in the case of the other, about love, but they don't know anything about love. Right. Here is love. 1 John 4.10. Let's see if we get a definition of it from the highest standard and the highest example possible, and it's God's love. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. Herein is love. There, whatever is about to come from the pen of John is love. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, get off yourself, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He took his only beloved son and subjected him to the cruel torture of the Romans by the instigation of the Jews and hung him on a Roman cross for the expunging of our sins. Incredible love. That is love. That's the highest example of it. And the the apostle will reason in 1 John 3 and 4, if God did this for us, we should be willing to lay down our lives for the brethren. Because our lives are nothing in comparison to the life of his son that he laid down for us. And the reasoning is powerful, The reasoning is logically correct, it's persuasive, and it ought to move us to love. Love is the greatest concept, and there's the concept at the highest level of God's love that he showed toward us in sending his son. Elton John. When Elton John sings about love, and he has written and sung and played a number of songs about love, He means the perverse love that he commits with his sodomite buddies. I agree that Elton John on a piano is pretty good. But you can't listen to that junk. That blaspheming God-hater, when he sings about love, and when he sings about his Daniel, he's singing about his sodomite lover. He doesn't know anything about love. Herein is love. Whitney Houston, when she sang about love, she was worse. She sang that the greatest love of all was you loving yourself. The greatest love of all is you loving yourself. I can't really even say it to you with a straight face because it's hard to imagine that anyone would write such a piece of junk and then sing it and then Americans would buy it. 
and think that it's a great song. Herein is love. Not that we loved God. Forget loving yourself. That's always put down in the Bible as our biggest problem. Love is the greatest concept when it's defined by God. Oh, Lord, help us. We live by every word of God. And this is the word of God about love. Love is the superlative relational bond opposed to and superior to fear, duty, instinct, service. The way people relate to each other is governed by love according to the Bible. Love ought to govern the way people relate to each other. And it's the superlative relational bond. It's better than any other way of relating. Fear does not work like love. Duty does not work like love. Duty doesn't have the motivational energy inside that love has. Love is powerful. Love is the greatest concept. We learn that God is love in the Bible. We learn that God has illustrated it perfectly, defined it perfectly, empowers us to do it, and rewards us for doing it. What more do you need? We should be the world's greatest lovers after our Father in Heaven's example. If two or more were to relate by its terms only perfect peace, pleasure and profit would result. Two, two people in a marriage. One, another in a church. If two people were to practice 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, perfect peace, pleasure, and profit would be the result. While love is a duty, that was point number one we made, yea, it's a commandment, but it's motivated and driven by bowels of compassion. And we put those bowels on to have that compassion that drives you more than duty does. Lord, help us to have that. Love has no fear. For it is so other-oriented that it has no regard for self. To the degree that you regard self, you will not love fully, and you'll be hurt all the time, because people are going to disappoint you. To to the degree that you regard self, the more you can give up yourself and love another person, you'll realize the greatest pleasure, and you can't be hurt. You're looking for something when you get hurt about love. Instead, be giving something. Then you can't be hurt. Because you're giving. You can still give when they're hurting you. You say, who would be sick enough to live that way? Well, how did you treat the Lord Jesus Christ? But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, that's how God treated us. What about the Apostle Paul? The more I love you, the less I be loved. But I will lay up for you like parents ought to lay up for their children. Children ought not to lay up for parents. That's a twisted family. Another example of American dysfunction. When parents think that children ought to lay up for them, parents are supposed to lay up for children. And Paul said, I will spend and be spent for you Corinthians, though the more I love you, the less I be loved. Love is the greatest concept. Jesus taught it. Paul quoted it that giving has greater blessing than getting. Acts 20.35. When you're flipping through the pages of Acts and it's all in the black print, and then you get to chapter 20, you've got a little bit in the red writing. The red writing is, it is more blessed to give than to receive because Paul's quoting the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's in the red writing in the middle of the book of Acts. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That is an incredible concept. And it's true. And it's right. And if you've tried it, it works. It's more blessed to give than to receive. That's why I asked earlier in regard to a gift that we sent someone 
and their great joy and excitement over opening it, I asked, was there anyone left in our church that wished they had a gift to open? I hope that only somebody two years of age and under might, in a weak moment, raise their hand and say, it's me. I hope that nobody else would. Anybody above two should know better that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. What a concept. Forget reciprocity. Reciprocity is somebody reciprocating to you and loving you back. Forget it. That isn't the issue. That's love or return from others, for that is not true Christian love. In fact, since I've quoted it two times, why don't we go look at it in 2 Corinthians 12 so that we can see Paul's description of his love toward the Corinthian church. He had problems with that church incessantly from what we're told about it in these, by these two epistles. They despised, there were some there that despised him. They did not think that he had real apostolic authority. They did not like him for taking authority over them. They thought they could do just fine without him. They had teachers that wanted his prestige and power and influence and authority in that church. The poor man had to defend himself, and he was forced to boasting in the last few chapters of 2 Corinthians. And it's pitiful. But here's what he says, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 15, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. 2 Corinthians 12, this is not a happy marriage, okay? This is the Apostle Paul in the church at Corinth. It's not a happy marriage. The wife does not know how to behave. And it's a shame when a wife doesn't know how to behave. A wife was made for her husband. She was not made for herself. But I've preached on that before. Every woman in here ought to pay attention and humble themselves. I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Now, did he just say, I will spend for you? Or did he say, I will very gladly do it? Did he just say, I will gladly do it? Or did he say, I will very gladly do it? I believe every word of God. Amen. When we come to John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, are you going to believe every word of God with me? Or are we going to rip it out of our Bibles? Yes, I intended to preach on something else. The peripike adulterae, 12 verses ripped out of the Bibles because they don't know how to reconcile it and understand it. Plenty of manuscript evidence for it. We'll see. You'll see by God's grace. But right here, I love every single word. And I will, I am committed to continuing to do this in the future, though he had already done it. I will very gladly spend... I will pour myself out for the church at Corinth and be spent. There will not be much left when I'm done. I will put it all on the altar for this church. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Though the more I give, I am running into more and more opposition in this church. This is what love does. What a concept. What a concept of love. Love is more than a feeling. It keeps God's commandments toward other people. And the Bible says that over and over. If you're, going to keep, if you're going to love a person, that means you're going to keep all of God's commandments toward them. You're not going to steal from them. You're never going to bear false witness against them. You're never going to commit adultery with their spouse, and so forth and so on. The Bible several times, Romans 13, James chapter 2, and other places summarizes that that's how you treat other people. Love is more than a feeling. See, when love is a feeling, what happens when the feeling goes away? If you're relying on feelings, and if you get married for feelings, or you connect with anybody on feelings, what happens when there's a dispute that comes up between the two of you? When the, the feelings kind of, they, I don't know where it went. 
I just don't love him anymore. What are you saying? That is nonsensical, devilish idiocy. Love is not a feeling that comes on you, then disappears. Love is a choice that you choose to have towards someone. It's not a feeling. It's a set of actions and and bowels of compassion toward another person that you choose to have. It doesn't just get up and run out the door. You say, well, the way he treated me, the way he treats you cannot take it away. It's still a choice to put it on. I just, are you open to 2 Corinthians 12 or have I missed something? We have the example right in front of us. But how many times do we hear, well, I used to love her when I first married her, but I just don't love her anymore. Well, I can be your marriage counselor in one sentence. Start loving her again. Right Right now. There was a comma there at the end of that. One sentence is all it takes because it's a choice. To love another person is a choice. It's a choice of conduct and it's a choice of spirit toward them. We don't wait until we have the spirit instinctively of love. That is lust. When you have your stomach doing flips inside about someone instinctively or naturally, that is usually and I mean that about 99 or 101% of the time, it's lust. Because love just doesn't happen that way. Love is a choice to put up with someone and to put up with someone cheerfully and to put up with someone very gladly and to spend and be spent for them very gladly. This is a great concept. This is an incredible concept. It's entirely different from the world. If you don't feel love with a person in the world, then you divorce them and go get another person. If you were to divorce the person that you once had feelings for, that you no longer have feelings for, and you go to some club and you meet a person there of the opposite sex, will you have feelings for them? Oh, yes. I guarantee it. It might not be the first one, but it will be one. Yes, because you're looking for the feelings of sin. You're looking for the feelings of lust that happen between two people of the opposite sex. Well, that doesn't even work anymore, does it? But you know what I mean, because I'm speaking to a congregation that still has opposite-sex marriages in it. So you know what I'm talking about. You will find someone else that when you sit with them and they reach their hand across that little table and their fingertips touch your little hand, you're going to be sweating and your heart's going to be beating and you're going to be feeling love again. Isn't that easy? The world's onto something. They can recreate the feelings whenever they want to by going and getting someone else new. Sherry and I like to sit in restaurants and watch the hand creep across the table and touch the other hand of two people that are having lunch or something together and we'll say to each other, well, we know they're not married. Come on, isn't that a shame? That's terrible. Love is the greatest concept. I want you to embrace it. And to love. when God defines love, it is so different than how the world defines it. I've given you a couple of terrible examples of how the world defines it. Elton John and Whitney Houston. But when the world defines it as a feeling, and that feeling can come and that feeling can go, well, we just clicked. No, no one ever just clicks except in lust. Right. Oh, yeah, Sherry, we, we clicked. That orange dress you were wearing helped the click. 
I'm not describing, describing it. I'm just mentioning it. There's only a few people in here that know about it. The effort that you had put into your hair that night, that evening church service back in 1974, about the month of October. Wow. We clicked. Do you think that I was thinking, I can't wait to talk to this young lady in this church so that I can help her to stand perfect and complete in all the will of God to meet Jesus Christ that is coming? How much of that do you think entered my mind? Yeah, you're one honest, sister. I've got one up front here that's shaking her head. It didn't enter at all. And that's right. This is the greatest concept I've given you. And it's from the Bible. For us to love another person, to be thinking about preparing them to meet God, that would alter everything that we say and everything that we do about other people. It would. So we don't click anymore. So when she goes and does her hair, it doesn't just melt me down like it did in October of 1974. If I were to be in an office where the little secretaries have put the effort into their hair that she put into her hair in October of 1984, would that give me some feelings? If I allowed myself to even think about them or to be near them? Yes, it would. Because you're judging love by an entirely different set of criteria, and it is wrong. Right. It is sinful lust. It is wicked. It is what destroys marriages. It is a choice to love. And every single one of you should be happy the rest of this day that are married because you can choose to be happy in your marriage by choosing to love your spouse. And if you're not, you're a devil. And wait till you meet the Lord Jesus Christ if you think I'm severe. Especially you women. You were made for the man. He wasn't made for you. He has his own rules given to him in the word of God. May the Lord help all of us to remember that love is more than a feeling. It's keeping God's commandments toward others. That includes our spouses. It includes our enemies. It includes pastors. It includes children. It includes parents. It's so comprehensive, but it's a choice. This, the golden rule, doing to others as you would have them do to you, that's love as Jesus defined it in Matthew chapter 7. What a standard. This is an incredible concept. Love is the greatest concept. Loving God and neighbor fulfills the entire law of God. If I love somebody, I'm not going to kill them. You say, well, of course you wouldn't kill them. How about, how about if we apply the words, thou shalt not kill, the way Jesus applied them in Matthew chapter 5, and that's being angry with your brother without a cause, is guilty of the sixth commandment. Right. Oh, now we're getting serious. And love, love will not do that. Love will not be angry with a brother without a cause. And it's not your cause. It's God's cause. The only way that we should ever be angry with a brother is God's cause. Not your cause. Because if you properly love, you don't have a cause. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. That's how far your cause goes. It doesn't matter. When we properly love others, it doesn't matter. Let them step on me. So what? Let's keep life simple. And let it go on. Step on me again. So what? Smack me on one cheek. Here's the other. So what? Take my coat. I'll give you my cloak. You want a mile? I'll give you two. That's, that's the word of the Lord to us. Therefore, love's a choice and the lack of it can't be excused as an impulse you no longer have. That impulse you no longer have is lust. 
Because lust never satisfies. Lust is destructive. The devil is deceitful. Your heart is deceitful. And all those feelings are deceitful. That is not why you should ever get married. You don't get married for those feelings. You get married because you found another person that fears God and is going to help you serve God better. And the two of you together are going to be a better twosome fearing God than you would be by yourselves. Plus, there's a whole lot of other fringe benefits that you can add on to that that I'll not mention right now. But you all understand that are there as well. But you want to find someone else that fears God, loves the Lord Jesus Christ, and is committed to living by the Bible. Then you can enjoy all those other things without the interruption of lust coming or going. It's impossible. It's impossible to fall in or out of Bible love because Bible love is an action that you put on and you keep on. Because you lack the feelings of love is not an excuse. Choose to love and the feelings will come back. Feelings come from investing, not from getting. It's more blessed to give than to receive. If you go, oh, I've been over this so many times, that if you go do something for someone else, and by putting outside of yourself toward them, you will find feelings coming for them. It's an incredible concept. It's the Bible. What a God and Father. What a divine library. You go into the divine library, looking at 66 books. You pull off 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Wow! Honestly! It's true in marriage. It's true with Jesus Christ. It's true in brotherly love. It's a choice. Remember from whence thou art fallen, repent, do the first works. Do you know what kind of relationship that, that little system of rules governs? The relationship of us to Christ. Remember what it used to be like. Repent that it's not like that now. Do what you used to do. Is that easy? Yeah. Oh yeah, before you got to marry her. Was there any other activity in my life as important as spending time with Sherry? Oh, no. No, no, no. We didn't have cell phones back in those days for me to have been texting on the job or I wouldn't have done anything productively. Because we were obsessed. Because that was lust. Love wants to produce for my master. Love wants her to be producing wherever she was, and that was school. And so we measure everything the proper way. Remember? Repent, do the first works. Well, if I'm just doing the first works toward Christ, is, will that be enough? Yep, that's what he said. It's in the red writing in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Remember, repent, and do the first works. Do the things you did toward me in the beginning, and the feelings will come back. Number three, and I'll be very fast. And I, my promises don't mean anything when I'm in the pulpit. But number three, love is the greatest definition because I've got to send you home with this. Love is the greatest definition. Number three, definition. It's the greatest concept, but then when God brings down our language to define it, it's beautiful. Now, this is not his choice of word combinations. I'm going to give his in just a moment. This one, love is sacrificial desire producing action. You don't have to write all this down. Love is the greatest definition. Love is sacrificial desire producing action to help another person realize God's best for their life. Oh, I am. There's years wasted in my life. I did not understand that, know that, embrace that, or practice that. This is an incredible definition of love. Right. And it's based on what 
God said about love and what he's about to say to us. Love is sacrificial. It considers others more important than oneself and so gives up self. That's real love. Love is desire. Love involves feelings and passion. We do not totally value the letter over the spirit of love. We do not totally value the action over the compassion, the bowels of love, because both are mentioned in the Bible, and we're not going to exclude either. Love is action, though. That desire leads to action. Love that is felt, believed, or professed is worthless. It must produce action. Love Love is sacrificial desire producing action to help. It will recognize its role in aiding others and exploit the precious opportunity of helping another person. Because love is the sacrificial desire producing action to help another person. Love is not self-centered, but other-centered. Love looks away from self. To realize God's best, it knows that God's will and pleasure is the supreme goal for all men. That he'll realize God's best in his life. It seeks the best for another person's life, here and later, even at self's expense. I just ran through the words of this statement. Love is sacrificial desire producing action to help another person realize God's best for his life. Will you help another person sin when that's your definition of love? Never. Will you sin with another person if this is your definition of love? Never. Lord, help this be the definition of love. Now look at 1 Corinthians 13, and let's quickly go through those 15 phrases. And yes, we will go through them quickly. If you would like to hear more on the definition of love from the one sentence of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, go to our website, type into the little magnifying glass the definition of love. And there will be a sermon series there that goes through each of these 15 phrases one at a time, slowly and in detail, quickly and without detail. Charity suffereth long. Now, if I use love or charity, don't get worried about it. Charity is a subset of love. Charity, just very quickly, charity is the negative half of love, if I can call it that. The negative half of love means when someone does something to hurt me, I show them mercy. I forgive. I forbear. I think no evil. I'm not easily provoked. Oh, boy. Is that definition mostly charity? Yes, it's called charity in 1 Corinthians 13. Because instead of sending, I go out on dates, I have a meal. Love is going out on dates. Love is having a meal together. Love is sending a card. And love is, of course, texting 100 times a day. That isn't there. Instead, it's suffering long. Not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Seeketh not her own. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Wow. That's why it's called charity. There is a reason in our King James Bible we have the word charity and not the word love. If it was love used exclusively without the word charity, your minds would run farther from the real concept of love because the real concept of love includes charity, which is what I'm going to call for the sake of your understanding the negative part of love, and that is putting up with other people hurting you. Because that's a a big part of getting along. Why? Because we're all sinners. The best marriage that you can possibly conceive of on this earth is two sinners trying to live together around each other 24-7, and that is just the most ridiculous concept possible of them being happy. 
without the grace of God in their lives and putting into practice these things. It takes work, but it's two sinners. And so we've got to have rules that help us live together well. Charity. I, I love Peter's description by the Spirit. Eight things to prove that you're God's elect. Faith, virtue, knowledge, godliness, patience, temperance. I need two more. Brotherly kindness. For the sake of our study right now, what will we call brotherly kindness? Love. But what's on top of it? Charity. Oh, yes. That negative part again. So it says in the Bible, husbands, love your wives. Oh, and be not bitter against them. Is that part of love? It's the charitable part of love. If I, if I can make a distinction just to help you, I, don't, I want to get off that and back to 1 Corinthians 13. Charity suffereth long. It, very quickly, charity or love will tolerate many offenses and still love on. Still love on. Second, charity is kind or love is kind. It considers others in a gentle, sympathetic, or benevolent way. Charity does not envy. Love does not harbor evil feelings because of another's advantage. Charity does not vaunt itself. Love seeks rather to emphasize others than self. Charity is not puffed up. Love does not think more highly of self than is right. Six, charity does not behave itself unseemly. Love is conventional and behaves itself in a becoming way. By everyone else's definition, not yours. Seven, charity seeks not her own. Love will sacrifice self for others. Eight, charity is not easily provoked. Love will tolerate a lot before responding. It is not easily provoked. Why are some of you easily provoked? I know you. The Lord knows you. Why? Wait till you meet him. And you try to excuse it by saying, well, that's just the way I am. Or that's the way my mother was. Or any excuse like that. I'm thankful that the Lord isn't easily provoked. Yeah. Do you know how patient and long-suffering he is with us every single day? But love is not easily provoked. It will tolerate a lot before responding. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, it is his glory to pass over transgression. See, that's not easily provoked. That's the opposite. And it's a glorious man. Let's be glorious with each other. Amen. Number nine, charity thinketh no evil. Love will not allow suspicion, but rather believe the best about others. That little expression, thinketh no evil, means that love does not allow suspicion. When you're suspicious about somebody and what they're doing, that is called in the Bible evil surmising. No, that is not love. You say, well, I'm pretty sure that that's what they're up. Then you believe all things. Well, I can't believe it. Then you hope all things. I've got you before we get out of this sentence. The Lord's got us all. We don't evilly surmise about others. And that's what it means when it says, thinketh no evil. It will not, love will not allow suspicion, but rather believe the best about others. Number 10, rejoiceth not in iniquity. True love is grieved 
to see others sin. We never rejoice. We never get excited to see someone else fail, fall, or sin. But you know, in our, in our human nature, we are. When someone else fails, falls, or sins, <laughs> I knew they weren't as good as I was. I knew everything I had said about them was true and that they're really a scumbag anyway. You know, that's, that's the flesh. That's the wicked flesh in us. But charity does not rejoice in iniquity. It never gets excited that someone was caught. We never get excited that someone else got a speed or whatever. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love is only glad when its object is in the truth. It never gets excited when they're doing something wrong. It only gets excited and is happy and thankful and glad when they're doing what is right. All these little expressions are powerful. And they fill out the concept and give us a definition for love that transcends anything man has ever come up with. If two people, if an organism, if an organization were to practice this rule of one sentence toward each other, one on one, it would have perfect peace, pleasure, and profit. Period. Because it's the Word of God. And it's his highest commandment for us. Number 12. Charity beareth all things. Love is willing to help others as much as possible. Bears all things. Bears the burdens of others that are maybe too great for them. It may be greater to them than we think that it should be to them. But it it bears all things. Love is willing to help others as much as possible. Love believeth all things. Charity believeth all things. Love always places the best construction on others, believes all things. Well, I believe that they just had a bad day. The fact that they walked past me and didn't say anything to me, that, who cares? I don't deserve their attention anyway, and I believe that their mind was on something else, and the fact that they didn't make any reference to me, you believe all things. They come and tell you, my mind was on something else, and you're wanting to think, well, I think they have some little problem with me. They've got some, some little grudge with me, and that's why they didn't talk. I hope, I hope that this has not entered any of your minds since kindergarten. Because it is so childish and infantile to ever, 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 ever think anything like that. Why would you, why do you need someone to say something to you when they walk past you? What am I missing about you? Oh, I've heard it. I've heard it from adults. What a shame. Lord, help us all. Love believeth all things. It puts the best construction on what others say or do. And you know what the next one is? It's if you can't handle the previous one. If you can't believe that about everybody, then hope it about them. Has the Lord got us covered? I love this definition. If you can't believe it about somebody, then hope it about them. Love hopes all things. Even if circumstances seem contrary to what they're saying or what they're doing or what they've committed to do toward you, It will hope good. It will hope the best. Love endures all things. It is not affected or provoked by evil from others. It doesn't change them. Just like the Apostle Paul, I will very gladly spend and be spent, though the more I love you, the less I be loved. There's much more about those 15 phrases of one sentence, the definition of love, on our website. It is fantastic reading. It is from our Father in heaven. It is from the infinite God, Jehovah. He defined love. It's the greatest concept. It's the greatest definition. It's in our English Bibles. It is charity is used in a number of places and love is used in the majority of places in order to make sure that we keep the proper balance, that there are positive aspects of brotherly kindness that we show toward others and there are the negative aspects of us putting up 
with them offending or hurting us, and that is how we stay close together and bind this church together. We will always offend, irritate, disappoint each other. But if we practice Christian charity and love for each other, it will not affect us. We can stay strongly united without the rain leaking through, like our brother mentioned a little while ago about stones being attached by mortar. The mortar is the bond of perfectness, and I need the word that the Holy Spirit chose for the bond of perfectness. Charity. Charity. As we walk out of here, it'll be easier for you to be friendly, loving, charitable toward each other, me and the group, than when we leave this place and we get with those that we live with 24-7. Can we practice love and charity with all of them? We can because we can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth us. Amen. This is the bonding agent of the church of Jesus Christ it's the greatest duty, it's the greatest concept, it's the greatest definition, and it's the greatest of a whole lot of other things that the Lord will show us in the time to come. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.